Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. My guest today is Laura Dibble Watts. And Laura, I feel like honestly we could do about five episodes on your life because you have gone through so many not the way I planned things in your life. Would you agree? (laughs) Um, It's definitely not been predictable. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I kind of got to know you and your family. We lived in the same area and you became uh, pregnant with your son, Boston, and and had some complications there. And, and I have a Boston as well. So I was like, okay, this is cool. But I wanted to go back even farther than that. And um, just so people can get to know your family from the beginning, can you tell us about your love story between you and your husband, Richie? Yes. And I will try not to cry. I yeah. can't make any promises. Um, so Richie and I met on a blind date oddly enough, like one of those that I almost didn't go on. And um, we just kind of hit it off like right away. And um, we dated for a long time. We went on, I don't know, like we had a lot of crazy little adventures. I left for a business internship with Del Sol after we've been dating for about a year. And he proposed to me just before I left because he Mm -hmm. thought that me going to like an exotic island in the Caribbean without a ring on my finger was not a good idea. (laughs) Smart man. (laughs) Right. Um, But um, after I came home, we just kind of planned our wedding and we just got married after a few months and kind of just had our like little crazy ups and downs. But it was, you know, you're young and it's exciting and it's fun and it just kind of, you just kind of clicked. Yeah. Did you feel like you were naive at that point to the challenges that life can throw your way. Was it like, okay, like now, and now we live happily ever after. Um, I literally thought it was a happily ever after thing. Like I knew that uh, like marriage had challenges, but I definitely like, I had this idealistic view on love, that like love conquers all. And Mm -hmm. if I ever saw movies with love triangles, I'm like, what a joke. Like that's so dumb. Love, love. I don't know what the problem was, but I definitely was naive. I mean, I would like, after we got married, I remember looking in the back seat and thinking, Oh, we're going to have kids and it's going to be so simple and we'll finish school and it's just going to be perfect. And you know, life is not exactly doesn't go the same plan. Not usually. No. So, uh, I remember, you becoming pregnant with your oldest son, Boston, and there were some significant challenges that came your way. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I will try to give you the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> um, we, I had just started nursing school and surprise was pregnant and I was like seven weeks pregnant. And again, everything was going to be perfect. Like I remember I was at my sister's house and we were going to go to Costco and get our first fancy digital camera so we could be ready for Mm -hmm. all the things that were coming. And I started bleeding. And so, I mean, I guess when you're older and you think seven weeks, oh, it's a miscarriage. That's so sad, but you didn't know. I mean, I'm devastated. I was a little bit irrational and we like hustled to the hospital 
And after a while, we really didn't learn anything. Like, they couldn't tell me whether I was miscarrying, what was going on. So um, the next day, I went to a doc- the doctors, and they started doing blood work, and they found that I was still indeed pregnant. But um, for some reason, I was bleeding. So they put me on bed rest, which was super fun when I had just started nursing school. Yeah. Um, not, not super conducive to learning. But I was on bed rest for a couple of weeks. And then I stopped bleeding. And they found, well, they told me that I had a heart-shaped uterus. Which is, I remember and hearing that and it's, I'm like, what? I'd never heard of anything like that before. Me either. And it was funny because they were like, did you know that you have a heart-shaped uterus? I'm like... Does it come in a manual like when you're born? Hey, yes. Right. right. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. So no, not something I knew about. And um, they kept saying, oh, the bleeding's in the right horn. So like the right corner of the heart. So they put me on like left-sided bed rest. And then they did another follow-up once it was all gone. And I was like 13 weeks pregnant and everything looked perfect. They're like, this is so weird. Like everything, I don't see bleeding. I don't Hmm. see anything. Everything's great. So, you know, life is perfect again, and I was trying really hard to catch up in school, and I, it had been another four weeks, and now I'm 17 weeks pregnant, and I went to my appointment, and they just did the fetal heart tones, and everything sounded great, and I'm happy-go-lucky. I'm two weeks away from finishing my first semester of nursing school at this point, and I knew the nurse at the hosp- or at my doctor's office, and I was like, hey, let's see if we can find out what I'm having. And she's like, okay. And she's like, surprisingly enough, our ultrasound tech doesn't have anybody in there right now. So let's just have her do it because she's a pro. Mm-hmm. I'm like, perfect. So I walk in. They pull out all the stuff. They start doing an ultrasound. And they just act really weird. I'm like, what is going on? Granted, it's like my second ultrasound ever. So I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't yeah. think much of it. But they just kept looking at my chart. And then finally they said, you know, you don't have any fluids. And to me, I'm like, okay, I didn't know what that meant, though, because I was a brand new mom. Like, not even, I mean, to me, I was a mom, but, you know, I didn't even have, I had never had a baby before. And so they're like, we're just going to send you to a specialist tomorrow. They didn't tell me anything. They didn't say this is bad. This is scary. They said, you might have to go back on bed rest, which I immediately laughed at because I'm like, dude, I have one and a half weeks left of nursing school. There's no way. (laughs) Yeah, this is not going to happen. So I'm like, all right. So they sent me to the specialist. And naively again, I go in, they were checking it in. So I go into the, I'm at, I'm at the specialist office and I'm looking around and there's all these pictures of these teeny tiny babies with life support. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, what's going on? So I go back in and again, I'm just like, hey, what am I having? And they're actually kind of like solemn and I just don't get what's going on. And they said, listen, you have no fluids. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's what they told me. <laughs> and they said, again, yeah, because really, I didn't know what that meant. And they said, um, so you're without fluids in your, uh, with your baby, your, um, your baby's like muscle tone can't develop. I'm like, oh, so they don't do physical therapy when they are born, you know, sure. they do. And then they're like, but their lungs won't develop either. And there's no such thing as a 17 week baby that survived. Yeah. So I'm like, wait, what? Like, it's totally shocked, totally left filled. And they said, so you have two choices. You can have an abortion right now, or you can just let nature take your, its course. But you have to know that you're not going to leave the hospital with the baby. And I... They gave you shocked. no hope. No, I mean, zero hope. Like, they literally said, let's abort this baby right now. And so, wow. of course, I start crying. And Richie's there, and he's just, like, trying to be stoic, but, like, visibly shaken. Yes. And 
because you know, as soon as that pink or that stick turns pink or you get those two blue lines, whatever it is that shows that you're pregnant, you plan it out in your mind. Like, Oh, it's the most exciting thing ever. You're looking at baby names and nursery themes and all of that stuff. Yes. Planning college. You're going to be a grandma someday. Exactly. Your whole life is officially planned in front of you. Yep. And so I was like shocked. And so the doctor was like, you know what? you obviously aren't emotionally able to handle this. Let's let nature take its course. Just know, and she kept saying, you're never going to leave the hospital with a baby. Mm. You will not have a baby. And she said, and just so you know, because of the anatomy of your uterus, that's going to take several more times. And every time you're going to get a little bit further along and the same thing will happen until finally you're able to have a viable pregnancy. Mm. I'm like, not only is this baby who I'm madly in love with not going to survive, but I'm going to have to keep doing this to have another baby. Yeah. And so I went home and my doctor called me like as I was going home and he's like, Laura, like we tried to talk to you while you're in your office, but the office, but you'd already left. So we want you to come in after the office. Um, our office is closed and we can chat. So Richie and I went in and he's like, this is scary. This is like one in a trillion because it's true that babies need fluid and you have no measurable amount of fluid. And he said that miracles happen every day, so you can just do bed rest and go on bed rest like no one's been on bed rest before and drink water like you've never had water in your life. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and you know, pray. He's like, miracles happen. And he's been a doctor for, oh my gosh, years. He was probably in his late 50s. And he, um, but he was just super positive with me. He was very realistic, but very positive. So I went on bed rest and I mean, bed sores, like I was allowed to get up to shower and to go to the bathroom and to go to the doctor. That was it. So I could shower once a week. Yep. That was it. But somehow, I mean, I've been pregnant since and I've not been this positive. I was happy. Huh. I just felt, and I mean, everybody has their religious belief, but I had a blessing that night and I was told that through my faith, we could both be healed. And so I thought... I am going to live this with no regrets. I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to make this baby survive, like to do what I can do. And at the end of the day, that way I'll know that I did my part. Right. That I won't be able to say, if only I hadn't gone to the grocery store, if only I hadn't gone to that movie, or if only I hadn't, whatever. So I went on crazy bed rest. (laughs) And um, long story short, er. Eventually, my water did break. Like, I ended up getting a small amount of fluids, um, and my water did break at 27 weeks, so 10 weeks of bed rest at home, and then I um, went to the hospital because he wasn't, like, I wasn't in active labor, so they were able to keep me pregnant for two more weeks. Wow, after your water broke. Yeah, so I I lived in the hospital for two more weeks, and then um, we delivered, or he, I got an infection, and we delivered him at 29 weeks. And it was like everybody wanted to, all the residents wanted to see me because I was the crazy person that was pregnant with this baby that was doing, like he passed all these non-stress tests that very healthy babies in like 30, 32, 34 weeks were passing. But even healthy babies at my gestation shouldn't have been passing. And he was passing them. His lungs, like the volume of his lungs, specialists were still saying like, like one specialist told me that if his lungs still looked the way that they looked 
and I made it to 34 weeks, I could deliver him in a Smith's parking lot with my brother-in-law as the doctor for all he cared because my baby wasn't going to make it. Like, they were very negative. Yeah. But um, but he just, he's great. I mean, he got super sick, like, the first day he was born. Within a couple of hours, he coded for, like, 30 minutes. And they told, they came in to tell Ooh. me before. I mean, I hadn't even seen him. I had an emergency C-section. I heard him crying. They passed him through the NICU window, and they automatically, like, were just, doing all the things to keep him healthy. Sure. And at that point, he hadn't been intubated. And he was doing fairly well, and then he just crashed. And so they came and told me that they were going to fly him to Primary Children's Hospital. We were at LBS Hospital at the time. Like, that's where the NICU was. And um, and they were going to put him on a machine called ECMO, where they take all the blood out of your body and oxygenate it, since your lungs can't do it, and mm-hmm. put it back in your body. And they said, we're going to do it, but it's a Hail Mary. He's going to die. We just want you to know, like, he's not going to make it. Oh. Again, like giving you no hope and you'd come so far and you hear your baby cry and and then they tell you that it, that had to have been so tough to hear. It was, I I mean, I can't even explain because I was just getting ready to go see him for the first time. So like, yeah, as they came in to tell me this and so they're like, we'll just wait and we'll come and get you guys so that you can say in theory, goodbye to your baby and like Mm. hold him before we send him to die. And so we didn't wait. Richie and I hauled down to the NICU with me, like, waddling after my C-section. And as we were scrubbing in, a nurse practitioner came running in and said, hey, wait, are you guys the Dibbles? And we're like, yeah. And he said, "Um, you can't come back right now, but we want you to know that Boston decided to live. He's doing really well. Oh, my gosh. We have no idea. Yeah, like, they had no idea what happened. They're like, he just suddenly started breathing. On his own, like not on his own, they intubated him, but he, they were no longer resuscitating him. Oh, that gives me chills. Like, I, oh, that moment had to have been so incredible. It really, like, everything was so, I was feeling so numb that I was just like, okay, now this is making sense. Like, I just had felt from the very beginning that he was going to be fine. So it almost didn't make sense when they said he wasn't going to be fine. So I'm like, no, guys, he's fine. Like, he'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But, um, they told us that he, they were going to do a brain ultrasound, ultrasound on his brain and um, to be prepared for a brain bleed. They said, and I didn't know how bad it was until I read their notes afterwards, but they're like, he was without oxygen for quite a bit of time and babies can't handle being without oxygen for almost any time. No. So be prepared. And they said, just know a level one or two is like reversible. He'll be fine. A level three or four is irre- irreversible brain damage. And they were trying to let us know that he'd have a level three or four, like maybe two level threes or two fours, like one on each side. And and they just like were trying to prepare us because they're like, he was coding for 20 minutes. And I mean, even adults that code for 20 minutes, that's too long. Bad news. But yeah. for him, for two pounds, because he was two pounds and 15 ounces, they said it's just, just be prepared. So they did the ultrasound. And they came to us later, and we were scared. <laughs> and they said, he has no bleed. He doesn't have a one. He doesn't have a two. He has nothing. So because miraculous. Yeah, like it makes, again, like medically, scientifically, it just makes no sense. Like they said, maybe a little bit of swollen between his hemispheres, but nothing. Hmm. And um, eventually the swelling went away. I mean, we definitely had bumps in the road from then on where – he had a pneumothorax or his lung valve in it and it deflated. And so, but it was, you know, it was reversible. It was fixable. 
He was in the NICU for nine weeks, and we brought him home, and he was small. I don't know if you remember. I didn't go anywhere for five months. We yeah. came home the night before Halloween, and we were stuck in our house for five months because we didn't want him to get RSV. Mm-hmm. I remember that being really scary, and, and yeah, you not going anywhere. No one anywhere. saw you. Yeah, and I, that was like almost more depressing than being on bed rest because I was finally like, oh, I have a life. I can do this. And then I was stuck inside in the winter, but he was fine. He came home on oxygen after a couple of months. He was fine. He had a couple of little like surgical procedures, um, but was fine. And now, and I was nervous when I left the hospital, his nurse who had been a NICU nurse for 30 years, he was her, or she was his primary care nurse. So she saw him anytime she worked working on him. She said, I want you to know that when Boston starts showing signs of delay, that you need to get, and she told me this, like, that's the MRI with color contrast, and she said, because what he went through doesn't happen. He's had brain damage. You just need to find it the right way. So, like, this is what you have to do. So then the next six to ten months, I was, like, watching all the, there were, like, four girls that had had babies at the same time as me. Of course, theirs were full-term, and so they told us to watch the adjusted age. So he was about three months behind all of their kids. So when they were three months old, I'd say, okay, when they were babies, what were they doing at this point when they were zero months or they were two weeks? And I would always ask what they were doing to watch for delays. And he just never had a delay. Really? Yeah. And it was crazy because I was that at that point I was like, okay, he made it, he survived, but there's going to be some negative ramifications. How could there not be? Yeah. But he never had issues. Like if you look at him now, he's 12 and a half. He's perfect. He's really tall. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's a pain in my butt, (laughs) but (laughs) like he's, he's perfect. There's nothing like you would have no idea that he was born 11 weeks early and that had as many problems as he had. I mean, and so I know it kind of helps me as his mom. Like I know he's here for a reason, so I need to be more patient with him. Because there were so many other mothers who had babies with better pregnancies than I did. I mean, pretty much everyone had a baby with a better pregnancy than me. But Pretty much, yeah. But had more issues. They had eye issues or they did have brain issues. There was a mom who was there who delivered just a couple of days before me and he was 28-ish weeks, but her water broke at 24. So they kept saying he had 24-week lungs, which would have meant that Boston had 17-week lungs. And her baby coded, just like Boston, but he has cerebral palsy. And it's pretty bad. And so I just just know, like, something, I don't know, it's miraculous to see him. Very special kid, when for I sure. When I don't hate him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, he is so, he's just so special. I just know that there's a reason for him to be here. Yeah, yeah. An incredible fighter, that's for sure. Seriously. So did you that's have good. similar complications with your daughters, Lila and Reagan? Um, good question. So after Boston was born and my doctor had like gory, but my uterus in his hands, he was like, you know, cause I'd asked him if there was something they could do to fix it. So this wouldn't happen again. And he's like, no, not really. And so then he called me and he said, as I was stitching you up and I was holding your uterus, I thought maybe, maybe there's something we could do. So he sent me to a different specialist who was like the head of andrology at the university of Utah and found out that I didn't have a heart shaped uterus. I actually had two uteruses. Okay, now this brings me to an interesting thing that I heard. It was kind of a rumor, and I don't know if it was true or not, but someone had told me, yeah, Laura has this really, you know, I heard about the heart-shaped uterus, and then they said she could essentially get pregnant 
with two different babies kind of at the same time. Like she could get pregnant and then get pregnant three months later. Is that right yeah, or not? And they actually, no, it's totally right. They actually wondered if with Boston, if I was pregnant two times because, or if my body, I don't know, because I just had blood in the right horn, which in theory was actually my right uterus. And luckily the right side of my uterus was smaller and he was in my left, the left side of my uterus. Mm. And um, so I don't know that I was, I don't, nobody knows, but yeah, in theory, that's totally true. Possible. I could have been pregnant on both sides, which is so weird. Yeah. Like so weird. And like, I guess that besides all the issues that I had, another complication of having two uteruses is that it's really hard to get pregnant. But luckily I didn't have an issue with that. So they fixed it and they just removed the wall in between and they said, wow, you have a really small uterus when it's just one. Like before, I don't even know, boss, I have no room. So, um, so they fixed it and then surprise, this never happened. It grew back. So now I had two uteruses again. And so they fixed it yet again. And then it actually did turn into a heart-shaped uterus where the wall kind of grew back halfway. Hmm. Yeah. And so with Lila, I actually went early, but on purpose, like 36 and a half weeks early. But my doctor's like, you've had so many surgical procedures. Your uterus isn't very big. Like, we're going to deliver her early. And she, I didn't have the complications with her that I did with Boston. I did bleed again. So I did end up um, on bed rest at the beginning for a couple of weeks. And she was breech and had club feet because of that. But, and I, I love like, light bed rest because I went into preterm labor at like 28 weeks. But as a whole, her pregnancy, besides the 50 pounds that I gained, her pregnancy <laughs> was a dream. Like it was totally fine. Which seems and like a miracle came. in and of itself because they had told you, you know, if you get, if, if even if Boston only made it so far and, and passed away, like they had predicted that they had mm-hmm. said that your subsequent pregnancies would be challenging, would be right? Yes, every single one. And so um, it was, it was pretty great. And she, like even being born like four weeks early, she was totally fine. She stayed one night in the, or in the level two nursery, whatever you call it. It's just, it was just a regular hospital nursery. And then was fine, no problems besides her club seeds. Reagan was a different story. So Reagan, um, my doctor wasn't concerned because he said, usually your pregnancy follows your previous pregnancies. He said, so I was really worried about Lila because I was worried it would follow Boston's pregnancy. But um, I'm not super concerned about Reagan. Where I was crazy <laughs> because I never felt a contraction. Even though I was in active labor with Boston, I didn't really feel much. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know I was in labor. But um, with Reagan, as of like 16 weeks, I had no bleeding with her at all, like I did with the previous two. But from 16 weeks on, I was having those like, oh, like take your breath away contractions. So I'd keep calling the doctor and they just kind of pacify me and have me come in and they do an ultrasound and measure your cervix from the ultrasound. And they're like, no, nope, your cervix looks great. Nothing to worry about, nothing to worry about. 20 weeks comes, nothing to worry about. And it like, but I was still, I was so stressed. And I kept telling Richie, I'm like, like Richie, I can do this again. Like emotionally, no way. Even yeah, if her pregnancy is perfect. Like she comes for forty weeks. Like this is so stressful. I was just stressed all the time, all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, is that a gush of fluids? Like what's happening? Because everyone was sure my water had broken with Boston at the seventeen week or previous mark because I had no fluids. Right. Like, you know, I had fluids and then didn't. Um, and so I was so worried. And then at twenty six weeks, 
I started bleeding. But it was just like a little bit. So I went in and they had this crazy like hour-long ultrasound. And they're like, I don't really see any problems, but we're going to have you go see a specialist again. We're going to put you on bed rest again just to be safe. They said, I've been coughing. It was June. I don't know why I was coughing. They said, what I think is that maybe you just like cough so hard that like a little blood vessel ruptured in your cervix. And so you're just having a small amount of bleeding. Yeah. So that night my doctor calls me and he's like, hey, Laura, I'm not worried. Just want you to know the radiologist looked at it. The ultrasound tech looked at it. I looked at it. Your ultrasound looks amazing. Like Reagan looks fine. Everything looks perfect. Um, Go ahead and see the specialist tomorrow just to be safe. Stay on bed rest for the next couple of days. But, you know, we're not worried. Um, and then like two o'clock in the morning, my water broke Oh! and I remember like jumping out of bed and I was mortified. I'm like, Richie, I just wet the bed. Oh my God. <laughs> like, like you were in denial what? that your water had even broke. Yeah. Cause I didn't even like with Boston when it finally did break, I had such a small amount of fluids that it was like, huh. It was I very different. That's the fluids they were talking about. Yeah. But this time it was like everywhere. And I stood up and I was like, wait a second. I don't even have to be like, I couldn't, I didn't wet the bed. And I, and he goes, Laura, I don't think you wet the bed. And so mm. surprise, my water broke. And they had found out that I had been in labor this whole time, but because they hadn't put the little, um, my brain just went blank, tocometers, whatever they're called, the things that check your contractions, you know, when you're in labor, they never actually monitored me. They just checked my cervix length, but they didn't know that I was actually in preterm labor. So I went to the hospital, got all the steroid shots, and they were able to stop the labor, and I stayed on bed rest for four weeks um, in the hospital, which was surprisingly harder than it was when I was pregnant with Boston. I was kind of was pretty emotional at that time. I don't know if it's because I knew it was coming or if I had just been in denial with Boston, and I just kind of thought, oh, even if I deliver this baby at 28 weeks, I'm just going to go right home from the hospital. Yeah, you, know, you weren't as naive this life. time. Plus, you had yeah. two other kids to take mm-hmm. care of this time and around. We were living with Richie's parents in their basement. So it was kind of like, because he had gone back to school. So he, so it was just kind of, it was just a different situation. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard to live in the hospital and not see my other kids. Um, For sure. And yeah, it was rough. And so then at like 30 weeks and one day, Richie had just come to visit me with his brother and the kids. They walked out. I had like all of these like check marks on the window in my hospital to be like, okay, I need it one more day. My mm-hmm. whole 32 weeks at least. Um, I felt this weird pressure and I'm like, oh, it's probably just another small contraction. Let's go to the bathroom and it'll go away. So I stood up and I felt a gush of fluids because once your water breaks, like it kind of regenerates. And then every time you stand up and then if the baby moves, then you leak again, which is okay. super fun. Um, TMI. And so I walked into the bathroom and every time I opened the bathroom door, there was this sterile glove taped to the door because they told us they told me like this is here just for precaution but if your baby starts coming and the cord prolapses we have to throw on the sterile glove and lift the baby's head so that it doesn't um, suffocate the baby by crushing the cord and not letting them have oxygen okay and I would look at that glove every day and be like not today like you are never going to use that glove Mm -hmm. it petrified me and so um I stood up and I went to the bathroom and I looked down and there was blood everywhere. Oh. Like it kind of looked like a murder scene. And so um called the nurse and they tried to stay calm out of the sterile glove. Luckily, the cord had not prolapsed, but I had had a placenta abruption, a pretty bad one, and I was bleeding out. And Which so, is super um, scary for your well-being, right? 
Mm-hmm. But all I could think was like, where's Richie? Oh my gosh, Richie needs to be here. Yeah. Because I don't know how well you knew Richie, but Richie was just kind of like, he was just kind of just stoic. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he was just like my rock. Like I didn't ever, our, our kind of our theme was like, we can handle anything as long as we've got each other. Like, yeah, it's okay. It seems impossible, but we've got each other. We can get through this together. And so I kept saying like, I need to call my husband. I need to call my husband. I need to call my husband. And he's like, honey, <laughs> this is the very least thing on our priority. Like we have to make sure that you guys are okay first. Right. And like, no, no, no. I just need to have my husband here and then everything will be fine. <laughs> and so they got me into labor and delivery and they kept saying, oh, it's going to be fine. We're going to stop the bleeding. We're going to keep you pregnant. It's not a big deal. But I knew I could feel really heavy contractions. I was still just bleeding pretty severely. So they rushed me into the hot air and the labor and delivery room. Richie had gotten there pretty quickly and he's gowning up. And as I stand up and like move from one table to the next to prepare for the C-section, of course, like every time you stand up, more blood comes out and they start freaking out. And I look down, I'm like, this is nothing. Like this is the amount of blood that I've bled so far. And right. They were panicking. And unfortunately the epidural didn't work. So they had to knock me out, Oh, which was, like my two biggest things that I did not want to have happen were to have a crash C-section where they knock you out and to have that stupid sterile blood used because, because I was the very last person to see Boston. I was like, I know she's going to come early. I know you're going to have to pass her to the NICU, but just lift her up over the drape. I just need to see her. Yeah. And so I was just so sad that I wasn't going to be able to see her. Um, but yes. that's what happened. So they were just worried that both of us, they're like, you have choices right now. Like I can just cut you open and you'll feel everything or she will die. And so we might as well just knock you out. You're like, yeah. you guys are both about like yeah. my blood pressure. They were getting blood bags to transfuse me. And so, um, they knocked me out. They had her out in like 10 seconds. They said that they were done with my C-section. Like I was back in the recovery room before the C-section that had started 45 minutes before me had even delivered me. Like wow. they were just in and out. Um, but her, her little recovery was a lot better than Boston. She still had a lot of bumps in the road. They told me, we didn't, we haven't really told anybody this, but she had a surgery and they said, this is like, something you'd see with kids with cerebral palsy being assisted this small all that they missed it the first time. So they're like, we're not worried at all. But then again, because they said cerebral palsy, I was sure that there was going to be something wrong with her. But sure. she is a little spitfire. She didn't walk until she was almost two. So I'm like, <laughs> there it is. Now I know this is a problem. Right. She's just a little stubborn. So she did great. She was in the NICU for six weeks and she came home on oxygen, but she... She did great. And she's so absolutely perfect today. No long lasting complications, right? Not, not at all. Like she's not, no one would know that she's premature. She's tall. She's robust. Yeah. She's just like a, just a little ball of sunshine. Well, I think you're a trooper that you, you know, persisted and you were like, I want this family and I'm going to take the risk of getting pregnant again and again, because I think a lot of people just with Boston's experience, they'd be like, I am done. I can't do this. So I think you're pretty brave. Thanks. We feel pretty blessed. So you went on to adopt a little boy named Bennett. And how did that come to be? No, again, I don't know if we're just like gluttons for punishment, <laughs> but I don't know what we were thinking. I, I went back to nursing school one okay. day while I was working. I used to work for JetBlue from home. 
I just applied for nursing school again because all of my credits were already there and it's something that I'd always wanted and I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I did and I forgot. I totally forgot that I had done it. So like a couple months later, they called me. They're like, hey, this is LA Community College. We just wanted you to know that you're accepted. Do you want to start in January? (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, yeah. And then I talked to Richie and he's like, hello, we have three kids. You're working. I'm working. You want to go to nursing school? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And we have like a deep talk about this because he's like, I don't know that this is a good time. And I said, you know, I don't think there's ever a good time. And I feel like the longer we wait, the worse it is. And at this point, so we found out Richie had a brain tumor just after Reagan came home from the NICU. In fact, I found out the night before I had to go back to work. So yeah, kind of crazy things. I mean, it was benign. They took it out. They weren't worried. But still, um, it was always there in the back of our minds that he had a, a brain tumor. His dad had passed away just maybe a year and a half or two years before I started nursing school. Oh, no, the year before I started nursing school, he passed away from a similar brain tumor, but his was um, malignant, and they knew right away that he wasn't going to survive his. So was this something Um, that had run in his family other than with his dad, or was his dad really the first case? His dad was the first case. In fact, it was the exact same tumor in almost the exact same place with Richie's. Wow. And... It, they were blown away because they're like, brain tumors are not hereditary and this okay. does not make any sense. And so um, it was kind of shocking. The reason that they even did an MRI on Richie is because they're like, we just want to put you at my, your mind at ease because we know your dad has this tumor and we're just going to let you know that you can check this off. You don't have a brain tumor. He was just having these horrible migraines. And I was finally like, okay, we got to do something about this. Yeah. And so they're like, let's do an MRI. And he found out, he said, he didn't tell me this because he was trying to protect me (laughs) when he was getting the MRI. But he's like, I knew there was something wrong because they just kept saying, you know, it's going to take a little bit longer. And they kept bringing more people into the room. Yeah. Um, So he knew that there was something. But anyway, he had the surgery. The surgeon mistakenly left a tiny bit of the tumor in his brain because he didn't do an MRI before he closed up his head. Um, but it was brain tissue that looked like regular brain tissue. So it wasn't, which is just another sign that the tumor wasn't malignant because it looked like healthy tissue. Okay. Um, and the only way he would have known that there was still a tumor was to have done an MRI. Um, so which is that so standard we just, to do that or not really? Should he have done that? Um, I think he should have done that because other surgeons do that. But he was just so confident that he'd gotten all the tumor that he was like, no, we're just going to close him up. And since it was benign and they were, he was like, oh, no, it's totally fine. And he's a great surgeon, but he should have taken it all out. Yeah. Um, but he told us that it was at that point to go back in and mess with his brain again. Um, it was more like it wasn't risk, worth the risk. Um. So, I mean, and I got, I mean, I, I agreed with him at that point because for two weeks after Richie's surgery, Richie was not the same person. Like Richie has always been super vital and vibrant and like hilarious. Mm-hmm. And he was monotone. He had no personality. He had about like a 10 second delay to respond to people. And he was, he knew that he did. And he was mortified. Like so I've seen scary. Richie cry maybe seven times. And one of the times that I've seen him cry and I'm talking like funerals total of seven times. Um, and that's like, probably generous. And um, one of the times was then, cause he was just 
so embarrassed and Mm -hmm. he was so frustrated with the way he was feeling. And it took him um, a solid like two years to get his coordination back. Like he was in high school, he was like the football player and the baseball player and just really good at any, annoyingly good at anything that he tried, just super athletic. And it took him a long time to get that back. And was that something that they prepared you for or no? No, in fact, they didn't really prepare us for a lot in hindsight. Um, But yeah, no, we did not. We didn't expect that. So that actually ties into what happened later on. Right. But so Um, this happens. So his brain tumor was diagnosed right after Reagan was born. And mm-hmm. then, so was, and, and you're going back to nursing school. <laughs> no, so not quite yet. So his brain tumor was 2012. It was okay. diagnosed in October, September of 2012. We decided to have like a fun vacation after that so that we could have like really positive memories. We didn't know he was going to have chemo or radiation. We didn't know what to expect, but we wanted something positive to look on to. Sure. We're still living with his parents in the basement. And then I was working like a crazy amount of hours since he was going to school. So, um, we went to Disneyland, which worked out since I worked for JetBlue. Mm-hmm. And then we came home and like a week later, he had his surgery. And so Reagan was still on oxygen and um, just my family helped out for those few days to watch her and the other kids. And then fast forward, he healed. Everything was looking great. His tumor wasn't growing. We moved and now it's been, it's probably been I think of how old Reagan was. I think it's probably been three years. That's when I went to nursing school. Okay. Was about three years later. And so um, I had told him, so my parents got divorced and my mom had, my, my, I have 10 kids in my family. My dad kind of just left. And so my mom went from raising 10 kids full time to like, oh crap, I've got to work. And so I said, Richie, what if you died in a car accident tomorrow? Like, we don't want our family to be like what my mom had to go through where she had to work at a customer service job for like nine hours a day. And we just kind of had to raise each other. And that's kind of what made us decide for me to go to nursing school. That was your motivation. mm -hmm, That was, I mean, it's something I definitely wanted to do, but that's why we were like, this needs to happen sooner than later. We don't want the kids to be older. I was going to be gone a lot. And it was kind of better for me to be gone while they were young and sleeping half of the day versus, you know, when they were teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so sense. That's when. And then, um, now we've been in nursing school. I've been in nursing school for like six months. And for some reason we were done. Like I am not joking you. We were done with kids. Mm-hmm. I had PTSD to like the thousandth degree. I would think so. Anytime, I, yeah, it was. And I knew it was irrational, but when I saw women that were pregnant, I was like, you're stupid. <laughs> like you were, I, I sincerely was like, do you know how dumb you are? I just really struggled. But then, uh, and then after his tumor, we were like, no, we're done. And then one night we both felt very strongly that we should have another baby. And we're like, hello, like, what are we doing? Why are we thinking this? And you're both yeah, thinking this, this is, at the same time, which is the interesting. Same night, same time. Like it didn't make any sense. But again, <laughs> life doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So we were like, I guess we're going to do this. And um, we just. It didn't happen. We've never had that issue before and it just wasn't happening. And I don't know if it's because of all the trauma that I had experienced. I don't know if it's because something happened to Richie because of his brain surgery, because he really, I mean, he was on steroids, but he didn't have chemo or anything like that. Mm -hmm. We didn't know why, but so we were like, well, 
we feel like we're supposed to have four kids. I guess we should look into adoption. So we um, started looking into it, and it's it's quite a pretty penny. So we actually found out that there is the foster program, and you can foster to adopt. Yeah, I've heard and about then, that. Very cool. Yeah, super cool. And then it's kind of like a, like you're helping the situation, and you're not spending $60,000 to buy a baby because it is legitimately, like, if you're lucky, 40, unless you know someone who's going to just, like, give you the medical costs. Yeah. That's like forty to $60,000. Wow. I know it was expensive, but I had no idea it was that kind of expensive. I seriously thought it was more like 10 to 20. So that's... Oh, yeah. No, like... Mind-blowing. <laughs> um, so we looked into that. And while I was in nursing school, we went through the foster program. And we... Um, after... I think I was like halfway through and we could have been qualified, but we decided to put a pin in it because we were like, holy crap. We have so much going on. Mm-hmm. And so we waited until the, the summer before I finished nursing school. And we're like, you know what? Like, we weren't sure how we felt about the foster program anymore. But we're like, we might as well just finish the case, the house, the home study, and just see what happens. Because they said the worst case scenario is you say this baby doesn't, or this child doesn't fit our family. You know, we'll be able to figure it out. So we finished it. We were done in June. No, we were approved in the middle of July. And everybody that we'd ever known that had been in the foster system that was trying to adopt, it takes a long time, especially brand new babies. And we knew for we knew for sure that we didn't want to displace Reagan like and get a baby ahead of her because we were told that it can really mess up your family if you adopt someone that's older than one of your children and, and your kind baby. of messes yeah. the fourth order. Yeah. And so um so we said, like, we want someone two or younger, we'd love a boy. Like we were pretty open with like different problems as long as they weren't going to affect the other kids because like I could have a child that had some sort of a disability. So I'm not going to say no to a child with a disability. Right. Yeah. So, um, we got a phone call within a week and I'm like, Holy crap. And it just didn't fit. I felt horrible. I'm like, how can you say no to this? But there were two boys and it just didn't fit. One would have been older. One would have been younger than Reagan. And we just, uh, we just said, we just can't do this. Like for some reason, just in your gut, it just didn't feel right. Yeah. Just didn't feel right. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're going to think we're horrible. They're never going to call us again. But then a week later, I remember exactly where I was. I was going to the school to drop something off for the kids a little bit before school ended. Like I was, I picked up the phone. I almost didn't answer the phone because I'm like, Oh my gosh, my arms are full. I've got the trunk open, but I answered the phone and they're like, Hey, this is so-and-so with the foster program. And we just wanted to see what you thought about this placement. And they told me that they had a brand new baby boy who had been born like 12 hours before and that he's a safe haven baby and safe haven means that within the first 30 to 31 days, I can't remember, um, at the child's life, they can, the mom can drop the baby off at a hospital, a fire station, um, or a police department with no questions. Right. They, say, they don't have to give baby. up their information. There aren't any consequences to the mother. None mm-hmm. of that. Exactly. Which is what they did because we've all heard those horrible stories of 14-year-olds that deliver babies and throw them in the dumpster because they just don't know what to do. Right. And so um, it doesn't, it happens like never. But she said, this is very rare, but we have the safe haven baby and your name came up. And um, mm. and they said, chances are this is going straight to adoption because the birth mom has already, in order to do safe haven, you automatically relinquish your rights as a parent. Okay. You have no, like they'll ask you medical questions if you want to ask them just for the baby's sake. Um, but they, 
nothing else. Like you're done. You don't have to answer any questions about drugs. You don't have anything else. You walk away. So that's and if the, the mom was to come is. back to the fire station or whatever, let's say a week later, she, her rights are gone at that point, right? She can't go back. Exactly. Which that's actually what exactly what happened. So they told us about this and I said, I'm going to say yes, like 99%. You have a little boy who's brand new, but I said, I need to talk to my husband. So I called my husband and, and Richie didn't believe me. He's <laughs> like, come on. And so he um, was feeling kind of like, okay, well, let's not get our hopes up. But we said yes, and um, we got to see him the next day. Now, I'm going to put a pin in this story for just a second because something important happened just before this. Just a few days before this, um, Richie had his first seizure. Um, he And we didn't know 100% that it was a seizure because we were sleeping and then Boston had climbed into our bed and I think Lila had. And so Richie's like, peace out. I'm going to go sleep in Boston's bed, which he'd literally never done. Not once in our marriage had he ever slept in one of the kids' beds. So it was yeah. kind of random, but he did. And he woke up the next morning and he was like halfway out of bed and he'd bitten through his tongue Ooh. and, um, and he's like super sensitive to kinkers. So that's kind of a big deal. For him. Yeah. We had a massive like hole in his tongue. And that's um, not and normal. I mean, you know, instantly something's gone on. Cause that, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. But in my mind, like they'd never told us that he could potentially have seizures. We found out later that he should have been on an anti-seizure medication, um, this whole time, because anytime oh. you mess with the brain, yeah, that is a huge. In fact, they were shocked he hadn't been having seizures already. They're like, "You should have been on Keppra. That's the medication this whole time." Like, this is blowing my mind. And so, um, anyway, so he had his first seizure again. We didn't realize it was a seizure for days after, but it was in the back of his mind that that's what had happened. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so now back to the story. So Richie was a little crabby because of the whole. <laughs> I would think so. Yes. Like, yes. And. Um, so we finally get more information and we see Bennett the next day and it was the craziest feeling. Like, I can't even tell you, I saw him and I automatically was like, Oh, that's my baby. Like there oh. wasn't a question in my mind. Oh. There were multiple times I grabbed at my stomach as I was like bending over to kiss him. Cause in the past, anytime I'd had a baby, it was C-section and I had to like, like prop my stomach up so that it wouldn't hurt so bad from the incision. And I was like, Oh wait, I didn't just deliver him. Like it was, it was amazing. I, I, I can't even explain it. Like we just knew that he was ours. Yeah. Oh, and that was so like the second time I've ever seen Richie become emotional is anytime he talked to anyone about Bennett. We named him after at first we named him after his dad because his dad had passed away. Um, so it was actually David Bennett Dibble, but we always called him Bennett mm-hmm. and it just like, it just fits. And we talked to our social worker or our caseworker later. And she said, I'm the one who put your name up for this baby, but I did not believe in a thousand years that you would get him. They said, this makes no sense that you're the, you guys are the ones who got him because there have been two. So he was born at St. Mark's and there were two babies in 20 years at St. Mark's hospital that ha- that were safe haven. Wow. So it just doesn't happen. And since it goes directly to um, adoption, like it doesn't happen. He had no drug issues. The mom was just, um, she was a refugee, actually, and she'd gotten pregnant in a, a refugee camp in Egypt, and she hid it because she, of her beliefs, and they're assuming she was Muslim. I don't know if that's taboo to say, but um, just because of what she was wearing. And she had said her family is so loving and so kind, but her, their beliefs are so deep-rooted that if they knew that I was pregnant, they would have killed me. 
Mm. And so heroically, she didn't try to do anything to her pregnancy, which most people would have done and like understandably so to protect right. their own lives. Yeah. She just hid the pregnancy and told her family she was having, like they sent her to Utah with her family. And she said, I'm having a sister removed. So when her water started leaking, she thought she was about 33 weeks. She walked to the hospital, delivered him and walked home like hours later. So like just an amazing person, which just as I think about her, it just breaks my heart because that's got to be one of the hardest things you can go through. And she had no support. She couldn't talk to anybody about it. Um, Like she loves her mom, has a close relationship, but can't even tell her mom what Mm -hmm. happened, you know, Right. which is just heartbreaking to me. And she actually did call a week after and asked to see him. And they said, we can't confirm or deny that there's a baby here. Like she just, all of her rights were gone, which just breaks my heart for her. Because I just want her to know that he's loved. Yeah. So, <laughs> that, oh, yeah, that he has a good life. And, oh, I know that just yeah, that breaks your heart. Care of, and I just want to hug her. But, but anyway, like everything, he was in the hospital for like a week and a half. And everything, they fast-tracked his adoption. We were able to adopt him within three months. And it just went smoothly. I finished nursing school like the month after. Mm-hmm. which was crazy. I just did all my studying with him on my lap. I don't know how that just doesn't even seem possible to me. Honestly, I finished <laughs> college before I had kids. And when I ever see someone finish school while having young children, I'm just dumbfounded. I like major props to you for doing that because it would have been so easy to just not do it. <laughs> It was definitely hard because, you know, when you're older, you're like, my brain doesn't work. Like it it's so work. true. So true. And my prerequisites were like 11 years old. And so I couldn't remember. They'd say things like, oh, you'll remember this from anatomy. And like, no, no. <laughs> I know where my head is. Like, that's what I can tell you. Head, shoulders, knees and toes. That's all I got right now. <laughs> yeah. So I just had to study a lot more. But honestly, the props go to Richie, of course, because he had to pick up all of my slack Yeah. and never complained about it. Like, <laughs> I remember one day I slept until two o'clock in the afternoon and he's like, yeah, you obviously needed your sleep. So we just didn't bother you. So it was just, I don't know. He just, we just made a good team. For sure. He's just really good at not making like complaining or looking at a what was me factor ever. Yeah. And he like his favorite thing was being a dad, like just loved it. So Mm -hmm. he just loved any extra time that he could spend with the kiddos. Yeah. Which was great because he spent so much time with Bennett during all of this because then after nursing school, I had to work like a crazy person because not just full time, but you have to do all of these orientation shifts. And we had to go through this nurse residency program. And I worked at, I work at primary. So it was like an hour drive each way. So definitely held up the fort during all of that. It was kind of crazy, but it worked out. So life is pretty good here for a moment. You've got, you've, you finished school, You've got little Bennett, who is about, what was he, like maybe six months old at this point? Eight months old. Eight months old. Okay. And then life really turned upside down. Upside down. So um, we ended up getting a new doctor in between all of us because Richie's oncologist, neuro-oncologist, moved out of the state. And for some crazy reason... There was no neuro-oncologist in the network, and it was Intermountain, so it didn't make any sense. So they sent us to the U for a hot minute, and then they sent us, then we finally got a neuro-oncologist. And in, like, October of 2016, so I was not quite done with nursing school, um, the doctor was like, 
so I've been looking at your scans every time we had a scan, like every four to six months. The most nerve-wracking moment of your life as you wait for them to say, okay, it's fine. We're not worried. We'll see you in six months. Right. Um, they, this doctor said, I've been looking at the scans and his, his tumor doesn't, hasn't grown from the scan to the previous scan. But he said, because I've been looking at them for the last four years, he said, I can tell that it has grown a very small amount. Um, hmm. And he'd had one more seizure in between this time. He, because he wasn't taking his medication like he was supposed to. So it was like a withdrawal seizure. Okay. Um, so probably not super he, concerning because you knew why it had happened. Yes, it was. He hated it a lot more because it was in public. He was at a softball game and I wasn't there. He had like back-to-back softball games. So we were going to come to the second softball game. So I was just getting the kids ready to get in the car. And I got a phone call saying that Rashid had a seizure. And luckily someone was standing right next to him because they stopped him from cracking his head open because he was right next to the bleachers and by the concrete. Um, But I feel so dumb when I think about this because I was almost a nurse. I knew that with Keppra, if you don't take it every single day, you will have a withdrawal seizure. And I didn't really put two and two together that we hadn't refilled his prescription since August. So we'd had two months and only not even done with his his month-long prescription. Mm -hmm. So he just wasn't, and no one told him. And so I didn't think to tell him like, hello, if you don't take this medication every single day, it's potential that you'll have another seizure. Well, and so they, I mean, I'm, immediately I'm like, why didn't they tell him? Thank you. It, it's always, you know, it, it's, it's blown my mind. Even with, with myself, I've been on different medications where doctors didn't warn me of possible side effects. And it, it's like, it just seems <laughs> so Crazy. messed up that they wouldn't warn you of every possible side effect or, you know, that just you've got to take it or these withdrawal symptoms will happen. It just seems like that should be typical protocol. The very first thing. Yep. And I'm sure it was like the Swiss cheese theory where they're like, oh, I thought the nurse was going to tell him. I thought the doctor was going to tell yeah. him. I figured the pharmacist was going to tell them and just no one told him. Right. And he hated seizures so bad that, of course, like that would have been something that he would have been super careful about. Diligent about taking it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when he wasn't, he had the seizure and we went to the hospital. He was totally fine. He had like a scratch on his head, but he was fine. But um, because of this, like we were really wanted to talk to the doctor and he said, um, it has grown like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. And he said, he was trying to figure out what to do. He's like, I don't know if we should send you back to have surgery again. I don't know if we wait. I don't know if we just blast it with chemo and radiation. You guys are done having kids. Like, maybe we do that. He's like, I'm trying to decide. And so he said, why don't you guys think about it and come to me at your next appointment and tell us what you've decided. So we came back and I said, all right, I can't even remember what the doctor's name is. I should know. But I said, if Richard were your son, what would you tell him to do? Because you do have an opinion. You're just afraid to give it to us. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, he said, I actually took your case to the board. And we've got all of the surgeons in the room, all of the oncologists in the room. And we all were just chatting about it. Because it's not a typical case. And he said, somebody said, well, why don't we just take it out and blast it with chemo and radiation? And then they'll just never have to worry about this again. Like a study had just come out that they had found that like a 20-year study came out six months after she had surgery, of course, that um, people that had uh, radiation therapy um, after surgery, even when it was benign, had uh, better results of it never going back. Mm. And so, but at that point it was too late. So it's like, let's do it. Let's just remove it. Um, and let's do chemo and radiation. It's like six weeks of chemo or six weeks of both. And it's, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, but we just feel like that's probably the best bet. So we're like, okay, 
Let's yeah, do it. That's what we're going to do then. Yes, done and done. And so we were going to do it in March, but then March was coming up and Richie's like, oh, our big league Pell trip is in June. He said, I know how I feel after I have surgery, brain surgery. And he said, I don't. I just want to have a minute where I can be myself. I want to take the kids to Powell. I want to, you know, go wakeboarding with them and do all those fun things where I'm not stiff like a robot. Mm -hmm. And as I'm a little bit older now, I don't know if it's going to take longer for me to get my coordination back. And so we talked to the doctor about it. He's like, dude, you could wait six years and you'd still have the exact same results. Okay. So So no major hurry. Yeah, no hurry at all. So first week of July, it's scheduled. Um, and now back to me, I'm like finishing all of my nurse residency classes, finishing my orientation shift so I can just be a nurse on my own and not have to work 60 hours a week. And one of my very last texts said, oh my gosh, we made it. <laughs> like, we're done. I have two more shifts this week and we get our lives back. Like, we made it. We're finally going to be to the place where we can enjoy each other again mm-hmm. because we just we didn't see a ton of each other. It was so busy, but I'm like, we did it. Yeah. And, um, just, I was so excited. And, um, it was that night. So we'd been texting. It was like one thirty in the morning and he had just texted me and said that he just finished watching a movie with Boston and that they just like before the movie. I'm like, why aren't you guys in bed? He's like, Oh, we just finished an epic tickle fight. I'm like, it is midnight. Yeah. Go to bed. I'd be so ticked. <laughs> I want my kids to bed at eight 30 so I can breathe. Yeah. But that's just not how he is. And so, um, I had, so he told me he finished watching the movie and I texted him back and it was, um, Sunday the next day. And I said, you know what? Let's just all like it. Um, we were LDS and it was conference weekend. So I'm like, let's just all cuddle in bed and watch conference together. I said, I know I won't be able to sleep as much, but that's just like, I just can't, I I just want to hang out with you. Mm -hmm. And that was the last text that I sent. And so finished my shift that night. And the next morning I'm like heading out the door. It's like 745 and someone had stopped me to talk to me. And then my, I looked down, my phone was ringing and Lila and Boston had little gizmo watches and I could tell that it was Lila. And I'm like, just a sec, Lila's calling me. And Lila called and she's like, mom, she said, I think dad had a seizure. She said, I can't get him back in his bed. And she was crying and Mm. she was so scared. And I, my heart kind of stopped, but I was like, okay, wait, we've done this before. It's okay. She's like, do I call 911? And of course, this is where the regrets start. And I'm like, no, don't call 911. They'll send an ambulance. It's going to cost me a million dollars. Right. Yeah. Before, like, it's fine. I said, I'm going to call uncle, uncle Greg or uncle Doug. I had a couple of brothers and brother-in-laws that lived super close said, we'll send them over. It's okay. She's like, mom, Boston's trying to pick him up and put him in bed and he can't. And so she had found Richie and was like, going to wake him up for breakfast. And she's like, I couldn't find him anywhere, mom. And she found him halfway off the bed. Like, I think his legs were still on the bed. And so she went and got Boston because she couldn't wake him up. And so Boston tried to lift him up with his poor little nine-year-old arms and couldn't. And she's like, mom, dad's just making these creepy, like groaning noises. And to me, I was like, oh, he's fine. Cause you're thinking he just had a seizure and yeah, they're super tired. After his last seizure, he was super tired. He felt like he'd been hit by a truck and he was pale and it took him a while to kind of get out of that post seizure state. And, um, so I'm like, I, it's okay. And so I'm now leaving and I'm like hauling out of the hospital and I'm calling people to try to go to my house. And 
in between. So I called one brother, I called the brother-in-law, and they both hurried over. And Lila called me back, and she's like, they're not here yet, Mom. And she goes, and she said, Mom, Dad smells like poop. And that's when I started freaking out because anytime, yeah, your muscles are relaxed. And in my mind, though, still everything was going to be fine. That was in the back of my mind because I knew what that could mean. But I was also like, people have, like, wet their pants a lot. That's a normal thing to happen after a seizure because you really lose control of your muscles. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's possible that it's the same thing. But at that point now I'm calling 911 and I'm driving like a crazy person to get home. And um, after I gave them all the information, I kept trying to call my brother because I knew he was the first one there and he wasn't answering. And I'm like, dude, I just need to know what hospital I'm going to because I've already had it in my mind. I was going to climb into the hospital bed with him and just like give him a little lecture about not taking his medication. Like I bought him one of those grandparent (laughs) vitamin things so that you know, because he had to take it in the morning and night. And he was always so busy. He's like, I don't know if I took my medicine. So I bought him one of those. And I'm like, I can't believe you. Like I was prepared to lecture him and just cuddle up in bed with him. I knew my family would take care of my kids. And that's where we were going to spend the Sunday. It was just in a hospital bed. Yeah. And no one was answering. No one was answering. So I finally called my sister-in-law. I'm like, Doug is not answering. Like, where am I supposed to go? Do I meet him at the house? Do I go to the hospital? What hospital? She's like, oh, that's a good question. I'm sure because she had my kids now. And she's like, I'm sure it's just like Riverton Hospital, but I'll see if I can find out for you. Okay. And like I said, it's like a 45-minute drive, even on a Sunday morning. And I'm getting close to my house at this point. I'm about to go onto like a small little highway that's by my house and my brother finally answers the phone and it's raining and he's like, Lar, I'm just going to come and get you. And I'm mad. <laughs> like, no, I'm almost home. I am not waiting another second. Yeah. I'm coming home. And he's like, no, he's like, let me just come and get you. I'm worried about the weather. I'm worried about your mental state when you're driving this fast. I'm like, Doug, I'm coming home. And he's like, okay. So I get home and and of course there's like ambulances and fire trucks everywhere and I just run into my house and run up the stairs and there's your worst nightmare is that they were just performing CPR oh I do not want to cry (laughs) I thought I was gonna make it through no you (laughs) no (laughs) I'm the ugly crier though you know like the one that you can't breathe when you're crying yeah um it's okay. I got I'm it. so sorry to take you to this place. No, you're fine. It's probably good for me to go to this place. Um, but they started talking. They're like, what are you, like, what's your medical background? I'm like, I'm a nurse. And they said, good. And then they started speaking medical terms. And I felt like I was three. Every single thing that they said, I knew what it meant, but I couldn't, like, comprehend it. Yeah. Yeah. So they said they'd been performing CPR for, like, 20 minutes. And when they first got to him, he had um, electrical impulses, but they couldn't, there was not really a rhythm. And so they just kept, so you can't shock that. Something that I learned in nursing school that shocked me is that you can't shock most heart rhythms into beating. Like a lot of times we think that if someone's heart's not beating, you just shock it and it will start beating. That's not true. Okay. And so they kept trying to analyze the rhythm to see if it ever turned into a shockable rhythm. They were giving him the meds, but they were telling me, they're like, we've been doing this for 20 minutes. And he first had electrical rhythm or electrical impulses, but no rhythm. And now he has nothing. And it was, it was awful. Like there was blood everywhere. And so, um, they just finished like one more round so that I could be there. And then they just kind of stopped. 
That's not anything you want to see, right? I, it just, it just, it's like the most unfathomable thing ever, ever, ever. I mean, I remember Nothing even, you know, I remember, I remember that day I, I had breakfast with my kids and it was just a great Sunday morning. And I remember someone calling me and saying, telling me that. And I, it, I was just like that. That can't happen. No way. Because oh, yeah, you're wrong. You're, you're half. I remember talking to Wendy Keener and I was like, you're lying. That's not right. I said, because you were just posting on Facebook about Bennett and you had this darling little baby and you mm-hmm. just finished nursing school. That just, it just seemed impossible. Like, how can that happen to this family, this beautiful family? Like, no. It didn't make sense. Like, we were yeah. building our dream house finally. Like, we yeah. had finally, his job was going well. I had had my dream job. Like, things were finally. Yeah. Because it wasn't easy. Like, we, we had a lot of bumps to the road. So, I'm like, we finally, our goal was always like, 2016. 2016 is going to be our year without any you know, without a million dollars worth of medical bills. Yeah, yeah. Not 17. Like, this is going to be our year. But it just was not in the cards for us. And I still, I kind of didn't believe it because I made him promise, like, a year before. I'm like, Richie, you know that I can't live without you. You're yeah. a much stronger person than I am. So you have to promise me right here and now that I die first. Yeah. He's like, okay, I promise. But he lied. <laughs> I made him make a promise he couldn't, you know, hold up to. Yeah. And it just kind of sucks. Like, it, I'm telling it, my it kids. beyond sucks. I don't think that there are even adequate words for it, really. You know? It's it just. Really, it's it, pretty terrible. And I still couldn't wrap my mind around it. Like, even they didn't let, him, let us keep him there for very long because they said, I thought they'd let us keep him for a long time because they did with his dad. But they're like, no, because this, should, this shouldn't have happened. So we have to do all of these medical workups and find oh. out. I'm like, dude, he had a brain tumor. He's on seizure medications. And we're assuming that that's what happened. Like, why do you keep calling him the body? Why are you calling this a crime yeah, scene? he's my husband. Like, he's the, yeah. I know. It was terrible. And there's really nothing worse than, like, feeling the warmth, like, leech out of your husband's hand. Oh. It was terrible. And even when they took him away, I kept waiting for them to call me and say, just kidding. Yeah, it's he's a mistake. Fine. He's okay. Yep. Yep, for Everything's sure. Everything's going to be fine. He's on his way back. Yeah, no, yeah. He woke up. Everything's fine. I expected that for probably up until they called me and told me that they completed the autopsy. Every time someone came to the door, I'm like, oh, it's Richie. Oh, it's Richie. Oh, it's Richie. And even even after, it took me a long time to really accept. I don't know if I still have because really nothing makes less sense than having somebody that's always there and that's every part of your life and suddenly they're gone. Like, how can that be a real thing? Right, right. I mean, I'm sure so many times you just felt like this has got to be a bad dream and I'm going to wake up from this and it's not going to be my reality. Yeah, and it's going to just be back to normal. Yeah. But unfortunately, I was wrong again. Yeah. And then you had to, you know, carry your kids along this journey and I can't even imagine, I mean, Stuff like that, loss as an adult is extremely hard to even begin to explain that to kids or to have them go through that. I understand. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was really hard. And the first six to 
eight months was really difficult. My kids definitely acted out and I was so confused. I'm like, how can this miraculous thing of Bennett happen? Like we knew we were supposed to have another baby. Like what the heck? And he was the hardest, I should say was, is the hardest child, like times (laughs) 10 that I've ever had. Like all the things that you see on TV, you're like, kids don't do that. Like, oh my gosh, they do. He does. (laughs) Yeah. He ticks every box. Like he didn't, it took us eight months to sleep train him. He had just barely been sleep trained just before Richie passed away. And I'm like, this makes no sense. Like, why do I suddenly have four kids? And I'm so, how, what? You know, like it just, and Boston felt a tremendous, and still does, a tremendous amount of guilt. Like he, he's like, no, I'm too young to not have a dad. And it just, like, we were, we're so blessed that we have such a great family on both sides. The Dibbles and my family have been, they just have picked up wherever they can, which has been amazing. Yeah. But it kind of, it kind of sucks at the same time because I'm like, no, I don't want my uncle or her uncle to baptize her. This is her daddy's job. Right, right. There's just, there's no replacing him. There's, it doesn't, I mean, you can have all that love around you and it's great to have that support. But at the end of the day, I'm sure you feel like that there's just no, it's just not Richie. It's not Richie, you know? And especially someone who just, by being a dad was his greatest joy. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of, it's just not awesome. No, no. Did it shake your, your faith at all? Or did you struggle with like, why God, why would this happen? Um, that's a tricky question. So I didn't, I said to my family just that very day that I promise this is the only time I'm going to say this, but like, holy crap, why does this stuff always happen to me? Yes. Like, I mean, granted at the same time, like the miracle came through too. Like when Lila had her cut feet, she, it wasn't as bad as what they thought. Boston is like a living, breathing miracle times a thousand. Sure. Bennett, like Reagan's totally fine. But at the same time, like there was a part of it that was like, so did I lose like all of my miracles on my kids? Like, is that why this happened? Like, or I'd hear someone my girlfriend's husband crashed his mountain bike, fell off a cliff, broke his neck, and he's fine. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, my husband died of a seizure because he lost his airway, and you fell off a cliff, and you're fine? Like, this makes no sense. So I didn't, like, I remember praying that, maybe not that night, but the next day, and I just sat there because I was like, I'm not feeling very grateful right now, so what am I supposed to say? Yeah. And I never say why, because I've always kind of felt like, why not? Like, I have just as much a reason to get in a deathly car accident as the kid that did. Or, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just as much for me as it is for anybody else. So I didn't necessarily feel why. I just kind of was like, like, this doesn't make sense. And it didn't really shake my face as much as it, it really was super hard. It was super hard for me to pray because I didn't know what to pray about. Well, yeah. And I think like you said, so often when we say our prayers, it's we're, we're thankful for all these things. And you know, you, you still had your kids to be thankful for, of course, and and things to be grateful for. But then when you've just got such an incredible loss, I can imagine. Yeah. It would just be difficult. Exactly. And I had, I felt really numb for a really long time where I had so many reasons to be grateful. Like my neighborhood brought us dinner three times a day. People just kept taking my kids. People would bring cute, like it was Easter the next week or two mm-hmm. weeks later. 
people brought us cute things for Easter because there was no way I would have been able to wrap my head around that. And my birthday happened like three weeks after that. And my sister whisked me away because she knew like Richie always did Hmm. such fun things for my birthday. And so I had tons of reasons to be grateful, but I was so numb that I couldn't be grateful. Yeah. You're just going through the motions trying to survive really. Exactly. And so I, my prayers took a long time because I would think, okay, I am grateful that I have a house. I am grateful that my kids are healthy because, you know, in Africa, people see their, their spouses die and then they're also starving and they can't drink and they have nothing. They have nowhere to play. Yeah. In war-torn countries, it's the same situation. So I'm grateful. And so it would take me a lot longer. The things that I was, that I found that I had gratitude for are things that, you know, first world problems, like we just take for granted. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was kind of tricky. And like, I believe in life after death, but at that moment, still a little bit it sounds more like a fairy tale than it does just like my whole life I was like yeah that's what's gonna happen that's what's gonna happen yep that's why I do this that's why I do that but then all of a sudden I'm like no that's too good to be true like this seems more like a fairy tale than real life yeah so it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with that but but I don't think that my faith was ever super shaken yeah which is awesome um so then you have to you have to face this new reality. You've got young kids, and at what point did you say I I got to move forward and and start dating and tackle that whole thing? So that was at the end of that year. I had I was having a really hard time where I was just I was feeling almost as low as I was at the beginning, where mm-hmm. I was just crying a lot and trying to like keep a smile on my face in front of my kids. And I remembered a conversation that I had with Richie where I had said to him, like, I remember everything about it. I was in my room sitting on the bed and he was like folding something and putting it in the dresser. So his back was to me. I'm like, Richie, I love you so much that if something ever happened to you, I would never want to get married again because what's the point? Yeah. In my mind, I was just being and being like whatever and he turned around and I thought he was going to say something nice back and he said Laura that's the dumbest thing you've ever said to me <laughs> and I'm like what? You're supposed and to say said, like if you died I'd marry I, I wouldn't get remarried either <laughs> yeah. and he said Laura life's a long time I don't I don't ever I would never want you to be lonely like I would never want you to be by yourself and so I kept thinking about that. And then my mother-in-law, who became like my best friend through all of this, mm-hmm. said to me, um, she's like, Laura, I started dating again. And she said, I think maybe you should start looking into that. She said, I know that you don't really want to get married and you're not interested in that, but maybe it will help you just like keep you occupied and give you something to look forward to. Because at the time, like, my days were crazy busy and working 13 hour shifts and, you know, trying to be a mom and a dad and keep the house clean. And we, we'd sold our house and built a new house and moved and did all the things. And so I would just, and then I couldn't sleep. So I would just stay awake till like three or four o'clock in the morning and then start all over at seven to get my kids ready for school. She's like, you need something else to fill up your thoughts. And so that's kind of, what made me decide, all right, I'm going to tackle this. Yeah. Which, 
is not fun. (laughs) No, dating is not fun. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you there. Right? When you're young, you're like naive and everything is perfect. And, you know, you don't have baggage. Yep. And I'm pretty sure I have like an airport's worth of baggage. And, <laughs> and like you said earlier, when you get married, you think, I remember so many times thinking like, oh, I'm so grateful. I never have to date again. Like I never have yes. to go through that. So when you're faced with it again, it's like oh. overwhelming. And it's funny. Well, it's kind of ironic that like the night before while I was at work, I was on some dating app with this girl that I, the nurse that I was following, and we were just laughing as we were like swiping. And I had thought so many times, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we know how hard marriage is, especially like the first year of marriage, even when you're young, you're trying to combine two lives that were raised so differently. Yep. And both felt like they were raised the right way, and you're trying to find a way to go together. And you're but when you're young, you're, you're malleable. You can change so easily. I'm like, dude, I'm 35. At, you're a little more set in your ways. Yeah. I've, set, I've got four kids. Like we've been doing this for 12 years. Like I know what I'm doing. This is like, this has worked for us. We've already been through the ups and downs of trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Like I got this down. Like I, I how am I supposed to do this again? Yeah. So it was kind of overwhelming. Well, and did you, I, I hope this doesn't come as wrong, but I don't, I feel like if I was in your situation, my mind might kind of go back and forth. Like, is this what Richie would want me to do? Or am I, cause you still had feelings for Richie, right? Yes. Um, I felt like at first I just felt like it was just funny and dorky. Yeah. And like, I didn't really look at it seriously. And I never really felt like I was betraying Richie. And I think having that memory come back so many yeah, times. Yeah, that conversation. Helped. Yeah. And, and I talked to my sister who's just younger than me. And anytime she watched my kids, if it was I was going out of town or um, I was working, I would always say, Beck, if I die, you need to make sure that you love my kids like your own. <laughs> I said, I want them to call you mom. I said, They can call you mom and refer to me as mommy. Please always talk about me, but they'll never have a normal life if you can't, if they can't feel as loved and involved, like they need a mom. Yeah. And I was talking to Rebecca about dating again. And she's like, Laura, I've wanted to tell you this so many times. She said, I'm so glad that you're looking into this. She said, because every time you say that to me, I think that's what Richie's saying to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He loves his kids so much that he knows that They need a mom and a dad. They need that balance in their life. Absolutely. You can't be the strict one and the fun one. You can't. Like, they need that. Yeah. And And I think, too, I mean, I've even felt this with divorce and thinking like, oh, my my kids may get a stepmom someday or stepdad. I always think it doesn't mean that it replaces the other person. Like, just because someone else loves them and is a a great influence in their life does not, it doesn't take Richie's place. You know what I mean? No, exactly. And it's like, like you said, it's someone else to love them. It's someone else to care for them. Absolutely. And that's what we all want for our kids is for them to be surrounded with as much love and support as possible, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So I never really felt like betrayal for Richie. Did you find because yourself felt, comparing guys to him though? <laughs> like, you no, know, I actually was super 
super careful about that because I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a realist where I know that you can't, um, you can't help but a little bit idolize somebody that you've lost because you only remember the good things. Yeah, that's true. And I also knew Richie and I had our rough patches, but it was our rough patches, getting through our rough patches that made us what we were like that gave us such a close friendship and such a deep love for one another. And so I knew that there was no way for me to try to say, well, Richie does this. Mm -hmm. So I, what I would try to do is I would try to look for the positives and the other people and be like, okay, so like that's something new. That's a good thing because I knew that comparing would just break it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's really smart. And impossible. And impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Like Richie has always just been my best friend. Like that's what, ever since we first started dating, like that's just what kind of made us work so well together. Mm -hmm. So I knew it took time for that. Sure. But you finally found someone and can you tell us uh, how that happened? How that came to be? So Brian and I actually have known each other for longer than Richie and I have known each other. Which is crazy. We So crazy. We were on Institute Council together my when I was like 20 to 21, I believe. And Richie and I met at the end of that year. That's when we started dating. So I think Brian met Richie once or twice, but not really, not much, you know, it was the end of the school year. And um, we just were really good friends. I think, I mean, I know we kissed even once during that, but it wasn't <laughs> like a, like I was like either one of us were mad at each other because nothing came from it. We just were able to stay friends. Right. And we kind of just kept in touch throughout the years. And it just kind of came back. Like we just. And he had never married or had kids? He, nope, he'd never married. And so he thought when we first started talking again that he was going to help me like get through the dating world. Like he was going to teach me what I needed to know because yeah. he was sure that like, because I would tell him some of the dumb things that guys would say to me. And he's like, you know, that's not true. I'm like, yes, I'm not 16. Like I know that like that's not true. But so he was like. Kind of almost like a big brother supportive. figure in a way. Yes. So like we would talk and he would tell me different things that he thought about to try to like help me in my situation and whatever. And then he, I think it had been about a month and he's like, you know what? Like we should go out. (laughs) And we did like just after Christmas and it just kind of worked out. We dated Mm -hmm. for about a year before he proposed. And then we got married about three and a half months after that. So it's been almost a year now. That's, that's so incredible. I I remember just seeing that and being so happy for you and just, you know, to see a smile on your face again and to know that you, you had that, that kind of a love again, you know, in your life. Yeah. It's been so nice. It's been nice to have like someone that cares about you again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it goes to show there's so many times when I've thought, if this happened, if you think of like your worst nightmare, which I think you faced your your worst nightmare, <laughs> you know, losing a child or losing your spouse or lo- losing someone that you love that much. I've often thought I just couldn't go on. Like I just, I couldn't go on. That would be it. And I think that you're living proof that if you keep fighting and moving forward, you you can, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't lessen the loss. It doesn't mean that you're not... Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think you'll miss Richie forever, but. Mm-hmm. And I said that to Brian at the very beginning. I said, you need to know that I love Richie and miss Richie every day of my life. Yep. I said that won't lessen my feelings for you, but I will 
always love Richie. There will always be pictures. I will always love Richie. Yeah. He's the father of my children. Like, and I, there were lots of times that I thought that I couldn't go on or that I thought before I started dating, I'm not going to date. Like it would make me so mad when people would talk about when I got married again. You're like, like, no, young. I'm like, no. And it was because I thought, how can I show Richie that I love him? I'm just going to be so like, I love him so much that I'll never, just like I said, I'll never love again. I'll never have to just because my love for him is so strong. And then I realized the ridiculousness of those words. Yeah. And that's not what he would want for you. Mm -hmm. That's not what he'd want for your kids. It's not, I mean, I'm sure he was absolutely thrilled when you and Brian found each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I just like he wouldn't want me to be a martyr. No, and that was no. another reason that kept me going. Is that I thought if I decided I couldn't go on, how mad would she freaking be at me? Yeah, he would yep. never forgive me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that in the end, I just have a firm faith that it will all kind of work out and come together in the next life. You know, like it will just—I don't know—some of the things that don't make any sense in this world will make sense someday. And I just try to really have faith in that, you know? I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's what gets you through. What are some of the challenges that you have faced, though, bringing someone new into your kids' lives? <laughs> has that been challenging at all? I, I would think so. Um, it has been challenging. Um, I'm blessed with kids that are insanely loving. They definitely have their faults, but they... It's, I think it's a dibble thing. They are so loving. So they have welcomed Brian in with open arms, which is pretty amazing because you always hear the, you're not my dad. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't replace whatever. But not, they've never once been anything but super loving and super supportive, which is pretty great. Um, it's been the, the raised differently thing has definitely been tricky. Because we both, and because he's been single his whole life. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he has four kids. (laughs) Yeah. That would be hard on anybody. Exactly. So that's been hard for him because, of course, in his mind, like, he has all these things that he's been planning when he becomes a dad, when he becomes a husband, this is how it's going to be. But, you know, until you're in that position, it's like when, before you're a mom and you see kids at the grocery store and you're like, my kids will never be like that. Exactly. never have a child that's in the thing. Yeah. And then you become a mom and your kids are exactly like that, if not worse. (laughs) Yes. And you're like, at least they're dressed. They don't match, but they're dressed and that's a win. Yep. yep. Nobody is leaving. So um, I feel like that's probably been a a pretty hard thing for him is that he just has these, um, these goals to be perfect and it's just not possible. No. And And for everybody else, like when you come into a family, you start with one kid and it's tricky and you learn how to survive without sleep and you learn how to deal with a baby and then they turn into a toddler, which isn't so hard. I mean, it's hard, but you've got all the baby steps getting up to be a toddler right. and then yeah. you add a second and then you're getting used to having a preteen and then they're a teenager. You know what I mean? That's why exactly. things happen the way that they happen. But for him, he's been kind of just like to jump into the fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that he yeah. Could. And so it's, I think that's been a tricky part is trying to figure out what reality is when it comes to raising kids and what, how that works and what he's always planned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that'd be a challenge for, for anyone. And it, you know, like you said, I'm sure it's been quite an adjustment for your kids and someone new in their lives. But I, you know, at the end of the day, I just, 
you can tell that he's just so good for for you and for your kids. And, you know, everyone has their own struggles for sure. But Mm -hmm. I'm just really I'm just really happy. And I hope that no more struggles come your way because I think you've had your fair share, your fair share of not the way I planned in your life. So, well, if they do, hopefully we'll be ready for them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, anything you would like to leave with with someone that's maybe facing a similar challenge, you know, or challenges, or or just people that face things that are unexpected. I think the biggest thing is just to know. Like we're always told, oh, you know, you're never going to have a challenge that's too big for you to overcome. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. I think that that's the whole point of life. Like we keep having smaller challenges so that we can get to the bigger challenges, but you can't do it by yourself. And accepting help and saying, help me is okay. And I think that I used to have this thought when I would see other people going through whatever, and maybe they, they started doing something that was shocking. Maybe they started whatever. Everybody has their own level of what's shocking. I would think I could do that. Like, like I'm not making an excuse for you. If I can do what I'm doing, you can do what you're doing. But now that I feel like I've kind of been through those things, I luckily haven't fallen off to the, okay, now I have AIDS because I am (laughs) left with everyone in the state of Utah. I mean, I get it. I get so much more. Why? people are doing what they're doing and maybe when they're struggling and they something happens it's because they they're still doing their best so i just feel like everybody being more supportive and understanding of when somebody is having doing something that you wouldn't anticipate and i'm being very vague here because i might be like super prude and think that something simple is is something awful you know yeah. or vice versa but it's just like I've seen people turn to drugs and alcohol and just sleeping around when they have a hard time. And I sincerely used to feel like, come on, you can do better. But that's not necessarily true. Like maybe they are doing their best and there's a reason that they are where they are. So I just feel like loving and supporting everybody no matter what. That's a big thing. And I think, you know, remembering that even when you see people that are at one of their lowest lows, that they can find their way, you know, and they can do better and to not, I think not giving up on people, you know? Yeah. Because maybe they have to go through that to get to where they need to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Or to have a better like empathy for other people that are going through something like that. hundred percent. My sister had said that to me. She's like, Laura, maybe you're going here to help somebody else out. And that made me so mad at first. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm like, really? I have to go through hell. (laughs) (laughs) To help someone else? Someone else? Can I not just help them anyway? Yeah. I really do have such a deeper understanding and a deeper level of love that I didn't have before. Yeah. And so, and other people that have gone through what I've gone through have helped me so much. And so I hate that they've had to go through that, but they've helped me in ways that, that I just can't even explain. So just supporting and loving everyone yeah. and knowing that you still have something to give when you feel like you've got nothing left. You still have something. Mm-hmm. I just think it's, just remembering that is so important. Absolutely. Well, I think you are one of the most incredible people oh, I've ever met. I honestly, you are so inspiring and strong. And I just, like I said, I just really appreciate you sharing your story and I wish you nothing but happiness. Thank you. You too. I just love that you're doing all of this. 
Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.